guys, welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast. I'm Nina Spears, the Baby Chick, your host, and today we have Dr. Asherina Reem joining us. Dr. Reem is a licensed clinical psychologist and certified in perinatal mental health. After struggling through early motherhood, she knew there had to be a better way, and now she has taken everything she has learned from her own experiences and evidence-based research to help other mothers navigate this time. Today, we will be talking about rediscovering you after baby. Dr. Reem believes every mom deserves to be honest and how they feel and met with total support, judgment-free. We are so happy to have her here as our guest to learn more, so let's welcome Dr. Reem. Fantastic. Hi, Dr. Reem. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Oh my goodness. I I know that you're in the middle of a move. I know that things are crazy. (laughs) You just told me. So (laughs) having the time to stop during all this, we appreciate it so much. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to be here and I love, I love having these kind of chats. Ah, well, we just love all the things that you're doing (laughs) and are excited to bring this to our audience. So Dr. Reem, for the people who aren't as familiar with your content and your services, like we'd love to learn a little bit about you and also the backstory of how you got started and and everything. That's a great question. So I say this every time people ask me this question. It's like, if you would have told me 10 years ago, I'd be doing this work, I wouldn't believe you because I don't know that I like have the interest And it was my own journey with infertility, with pregnancy and postpartum and the anxieties that I felt around that, that really led me to, you know, perinatal mental health and maternal mental health. I actually started my career in eating disorder recovery, health psychology, neuropsychology. I was working at like a large health system and doing a lot of that work. I never saw myself leaving. And it was when I was walking my own postpartum journey that I was like, okay, I can't, (laughs) I can't ignore this. You know, I can't ignore this. This is big. And I wonder how many other parents are going through this and don't have anywhere to turn and don't know what the resources are. So that led me to just create this little corner (laughs) on social media that I called psyched mommy and just thought like, Hey, if I share a thing here, you know, here or there, maybe somebody will be interested in it. And it just grew and grew and grew. And it really showed me that there's such a need and there's such an interest in the work that I'm doing because so many parents are going through this and so many parents don't talk about it. So I went from doing all that work to then founding Psyched Mommy, which is my online platform where I serve and educate parents going through this and walking through their own challenges in parenthood. And it's been the best shift in my career. Uh, well, we're so glad you did that shift because you're absolutely right. It's your calling. And Thank you. and I love how you said that not enough people are talking about it. But luckily, accounts like yours, more women are talking about it and preparing that next generation of mothers and knowing how to get support. So I hope you feel that kind of like, oh, wow, we are making a difference. Do you feel that? You know, sometimes I question it and I'm like, is anybody seeing this? Is anybody reading this? And then... And then I get these messages that literally give me chills that, you know, a parent will reach out to me, a mom will reach out to me and she'll say, I really felt alone. And I came across your account and I can't believe that you basically, it feels like you're in my head or, you know, I can't tell you how impactful this has been for me, or you're the reason why I went and saw a therapist. And it brings tears to my eyes. It makes me so emotional because it, it validates that, okay, what we're doing is important 
and there is a need and it is helping um, parents out there. And that does it for me. (laughs) If I'm having a hard day, I actually screenshot those messages and I have them in a folder and I go to them and I'm like, okay, this work is important. This work is needed. And I just, on my hard days, I tell you what, (laughs) those those help me. Those definitely help me. Yeah, because there's people behind these social media accounts and you know, sometimes we get a lot of the bad, but those good ones just make it just amazing, don't they? they definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Dr. Reem, how did the lessons you learned during your transition into motherhood like shape the way you help new mothers today? Oh, it gives me so much perspective. And I think that's it. It's like, I am, you know, when I work with moms in particular, it's like, I can, it's from coming from a lens of not only do I know this from like training and did I learn this, but I lived it. And so for me, it gives me so much perspective. It's like such authentic empathy because I know what it's like personally. It's allowed me to, and I don't, not that I, we, we are, ever judgmental as therapists, but it really opens your eyes on the experience to where you have way more compassion and you can see things just in a different, from a different perspective. So for me, I feel like it's made me a better therapist. My own transition and the challenges that I had allowed me to connect with my patients on a level that I haven't in the past. Maybe that's why I love this work. It's like for the first time, I know what you mean when you tell me that this is a struggle. You know, it's like, Our experiences might not be identical, but I know what that struggle feels like. So it really gave me a lot of perspective. And I feel like I connect to my clients, my patients in a way that I haven't before. I can totally relate. Like when I started working with expecting moms and they would tell me that, oh, morning sickness and all of this stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, that's got to suck. I'm so sorry. (laughs) And then when I got pregnant, I was like, oh, oh no, no, this is awful. And so now I'm like, oh honey, can I like Mm -hmm. bring you over a barf bag? Like what can I do? All the peppermint oil. So I totally understand. And now I want to know like, how did you decide to become like, certified in perinatal mental health? Like, what was it that you were like, okay, I see that I'm going through this. Maybe I'm not the only one. So I'm actually going to take that step and get certified in this. Yes. Okay. So I was actually probably really new in my postpartum journey when I even decided to do this. I was like, well, what I'm feeling is not normal. You know, I feel unlike myself. And I actually said this to my husband one day and I I just looked at him and I go, I just don't feel like myself. And he is, and I can tell, he said to me, I can tell. And it was like such an aha for me. Like, oh, I didn't expect this from me. I'm a psychologist. I should know better. I should know the signs. I should be prepared. So I started looking for trainings at that point. I'm like, if I'm feeling this lost and, you know, this disconnected from myself, I mean, how many people are and don't even know it? So I started looking for trainings, found one postpartum support international. I did their two day training and then, and I got to the training. It was in person and it was interesting because I still had at this point, like I found the training, it was being hosted like two days later. I'm like, okay, I've got to take time off work. I don't know if this is going to work. I have a baby that's up all night long. It's like the drive to the training is over an hour and I'm like pounding coffee and I like wake up in the morning and I just had like after not sleeping and I'm like, I'm going to go do this training and I'm there and everything that they're sharing, I'm like, wow, you're talking about me here in this training. So I did this training finished it, took this. And then I would like right then and there, I'm like, I'm taking the steps to get certified because this honestly just 
speaks to me so much that there is no way I can do anything else right now. And just right then there, I made that decision. And I just took the steps after that and never looked back, never, ever looked back. I love that. That passion was just like, hello, this is it. Got to do it. Yes. <laughs> I, never, I, mean, I don't think I've ever felt that way about any other. It's made me realize that I, nothing else I've ever done in my career have I felt this strongly about. So, And that's how you know you're in the right place. Yes, it's definitely the right choice. Oh, I love that. So many mothers are struggling with, you know, all the demands of motherhood, as you know, as a Mm -hmm. mom and as a therapist, (laughs) we see that, you know, more people are talking about it. Like I had mentioned, like on your account, we love how you share all the different sides that mothers are thinking and may not be admitting, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which, you know, we're just grateful for that you're doing. So yet we think that there's just not enough because like we were talking about, are enough mothers seeing this stuff, but I think we're getting closer. We're getting there. So to you, like, why is it important to change this whole narrative? And how do you think moms can be better supported? Oh, this is a good one. So I think that it's really important to change the narrative and to really be talking about this because when you think about how much of the real experience has been concealed for so long, And one thing that happens when we're honest about like the impossibility of what's expected and the demands placed on moms, I think mothers will start to realize that they're actually not failing. It's just an impossible task. And that is so important because so often we're like, well, I'm the only one that's feeling this way. You know, I don't see any other moms talking about this or feeling this way and I'm alone. So there must be something wrong with me. And I think when we talk about it more, moms will start to realize that it's, I'm struggling because it's impossible, not because I'm at fault. I think that's a really important piece of it, but it's also important because it normalizes the real and lived experiences of mothers. You know, for so long we've heard, and I heard this in my own journey, it's like, well, motherhood is absolutely magical. It's beautiful. It's going to be the best work you ever do. That's all great and well, but when you start to go through your own experience and you're like, well, oh my gosh, this doesn't feel magical. This doesn't feel easy. This doesn't feel natural. It's really challenging. So it's good to see that, okay, it can be all of those good things, but it also can be really hard and it can be overwhelming and it can be one of the toughest jobs we ever do. So I think it's really good to see the entire picture instead of just, you know, like the rainbows and butterflies of enjoy every second, <laughs> like the, the feedback we get. So I think that that's just really important to see the full picture and to change that narrative. This is going to be the best thing ever too. This is going to be beautiful, but it's also going to be very messy. And it's okay when you're having those really big feelings because you're doing something you've never done before. Now, how can moms be better supported? This is like, I could, we could have a whole podcast about this. (laughs) Yes, we could. It's something that I'm really passionate about, but I think that there's like these changes that have to happen within the system that's like a big piece. And I almost think that if we don't acknowledge that there are a lot of changes that need to happen in the system, it's where we do ourselves a disservice. And this is what I talk about when when I mean the impossible demands of motherhood. We talk about like affordability of childcare, paid leave, access to healthcare, equal pay, better screening and follow-up postpartum or even throughout pregnancy. I mean, my list could go on and on and on, but I think creating an environment, creating a world where moms are appreciated, they're respected, the work that they do is not invisible, that we see it as one of the best ways we can support moms. But on a really practical everyday basis, I think 
it's like pointing out like that village, you know, we all expected people to show up and be incredibly supportive. And I think if you were a person that is around expectant parents, just to know that not every parent is going to come out and ask for your help. It's hard for a lot of people. So showing up, being, you know, an ear to listen, non-judgmentally, doing things without being asked, identifying the needs before someone having to tell you. So we can support moms by stepping up, checking in on them and telling them like, hey, I'm here and nothing is going to change that, especially for partners, you know, showing up in a big way and identifying those things without being told. That's like the number one thing that moms complain to me about is like, I don't want to have to tell everybody, you know, I don't want to tell my, my partner, hey, I need your help with X, Y, and Z. I want them to know. I want them to do it. So that's the one way that we can support moms. I mean, other than like those, the big, you know, systemic ways that things need to shift. I, like I said, we could have a whole podcast on this and I can go on and on, but those are just some of the things that come to the top of my head. Oh, and this stuff is powerful. Like everything you just shared, I'm like taking notes because this is just so helpful. And I think, please continue doing the work you're doing and sharing this message because wow, if more people are receiving this message, I think that especially if they didn't receive it themselves, they'll be reminded like, hey, I need to reach out and do that for my fellow mom mm-hmm. and and do it for the, the next mom so that she can get that support and then carry on this legacy of, you know, the new village. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you for sharing all of that. And because you're right, like being a new mom can be so isolating if you don't have that support. So what tips do you have to help them not feel so lonely? Oh, loneliness. It's something I talk about quite a bit. It's something that a lot of the moms I meet with talk about. And, you know, that was one of the things that kind of threw me off because I'm like, I'm never alone. Why do I feel so lonely? Here I am with this baby I really desired and wanted. And and now I feel so lonely. And I think, so part of this is thinking of the ways that we are being stimulated and how different it is. You go from, you know, maybe it's engaging with a lot of people, having way more of a social life, or maybe you're in a career and that's shifted and you're being stimulated maybe intellectually, you're having these meaningful conversations, you're talking about all kinds of topics. And now you're being stimulated, but in a way that's draining, not in a way that's like filling you up in a way. So you do feel lonely and and days can feel monotonous. And I think moms struggle to say this, but it can be really boring to be, you know, in the throes of postpartum. It really can be. But one of the things that I notice for the moms I meet with, and even for myself, is sometimes when we change scenery, because not everyone has access to unlimited social support, but sometimes when we change scenery, when we step outside of our home, when we go for a walk, when we go for a drive and head into a a drive-through, I know this sounds silly, but just these little small micro interactions that we have with people that require us to smile or say hello or ask a question it really can do something for us. Those are just like the very small things. I remember being early on postpartum and like somebody asking me a question at the store and it like almost stopping me in my tracks. Like you're talking to me, me, you know, (laughs) you want to know something? I've got so much to talk about. Like, let's chat. And it was like the way it can change your mood just to interact with somebody so briefly And so that's like, what can I do just immediately changing my environment or just to have these interactions? But it's like, don't underestimate the power of calling our friends or our family or FaceTiming people. Because I know that some people have like moved across the country. They don't live near people that are supportive to them. 
but connecting with them in that respect, leaning on any family or friends that you have, but really finding, and this takes creativity, but finding supports within the community. I know there's a big thing here. I live in the Phoenix area. I live in the Valley. And there's like local agencies that have like birth month, like whatever, like from if your child is born from January to March, like they have these like local mom groups that get together and their kids are the same age and they really get to connect and they grow through this process together and they can text each other and they have other moms to connect with. So like really looking at what's in my community. And most often these are going to be like associated with hospitals, you know, maybe it's OBGYN offices or like for us, we have like a lot of local like lactation agencies that are not just for breastfeeding parents. And they have a lot of these groups for parents postpartum, but either it's in person or finding that virtual village of people. I can't tell you, and I I feel like I'm rambling here, but I can't tell you how many of my clients have used, and this is not like sponsored or advertised, but how many of my clients have used the peanut app and said, I found so many, you know, connections and friends that way. And I get to talk to moms and I really love that because I don't know anybody in my community. So it does take creativity. And unfortunately, it does feel like it takes more work. But I tell you what, the feeling of connecting with other people can have such a positive impact on our mood. And it's so worth it. So even that, I know it takes work, but it's it's one of those things that's going to be worth it. Absolutely. And I can't recommend it enough. Oh, these are such great tips. And I will also add, like, try and do this research, especially if it's like your community, before the baby comes. So then you're not totally in this fog of postpartum hormones and <laughs> no sleep trying to figure out your new village. So, but these are awesome. So yeah, for pregnant mamas out there, try and do that. But I also love the really just helpful little tip, like just get out there, like go to a coffee shop, go to Target, whatever. Mm-hmm. And because yeah, interacting with a child versus an adult can really, <laughs> it, there's a difference. There's totally, oh my goodness, big difference. Yes. <laughs> so moms have, t- gosh, big feelings during the transition to motherhood. What are some common feelings you see in mothers and how do you recommend they manage these feelings, Dr. Ring? Oh my goodness, they do. And I think they throw them for, you know, it's like a throw you for a loop kind of experience. I mean, there's a lot of anxiety that I see and I hear about. And most often with the moms that I see, they'll say something along the lines of, I was a little anxious. I noticed I was anxious my whole life, but it was very doable. I could manage it. And then I became a mom and it's like it went into high gear and this anxiety just went through the roof. And I feel like now I I can't manage it. But other than anxiety, one of the biggest experiences that I see, and I ask about this with every single mom I meet with, because it's one of those things that moms won't share, but the anger, the anger, the frustration, the irritability, like, why am I so short fused? I'm so irritable. And where's this anger coming from? Exactly. I'm snapping and it's not like me. This is so out of character for me. And I will say, whatever the experience, if you're noticing something like I'm having bigger feelings than I was, or these are becoming harder to manage pay attention. Cause I always tell people your feelings, this is a signal. This is an alert. This is a very, like the first thing that's saying like, Hey, there's something going on here. I need to pay attention to it. I need to dig a little deeper and find out what is going on. I was like, say like, we're kind of investigative. want to do some exploring what's under the surface, what's going on with me. And most often we kind of do this assessment of needs when I meet with the clients that I meet with, like, okay, let's start off with some of the basics of before we even dig into why this is happening. Like from a psychological perspective, how many, let's go over your needs. How are you eating? How are you sleeping? 
are you caring for yourself? What kind of support do you have? You know, we're going through this checklist of things to see how you're filling your buckets. And most often it's like, oh, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing those things. I'm not getting my needs met. And it's like, well, there's no wonder, right? There's no wonder you're feeling like it's impossible because it is right now. You're not getting your basic human needs met and you're functioning at like the suboptimal level. And we try to make these changes, right? Like let's get some of those basic needs met. We'll see how things are going. And then we'll start to work on things. But this is where I say, if you are feeling different, if you're not feeling like yourself, if you just feel like you're struggling and it's a challenge, find a therapist. And there is no such thing as finding a therapist too soon. Like people think that you need to be in crisis. You don't. Anyone should, I think everyone should see a therapist. I should see a therapist. You know, I feel it's like we all could use a good therapist. So that is so incredibly important. Tell the people that are in your circle, tell the people that are around you that love you and care about you and are non-judgmental, like what's going on. Like I'm noticing myself feeling like this and talk to them about it. I think it really feels good when we get to share that experience with somebody else. We're not holding on to that and really feeling a little more isolated and alone. When you're talking about finding good resources, the place that I did my training that I mentioned earlier, Postpartum Support International is an incredible resource. Their website is postpartum.net and they have resources globally and they will have a list of providers in your local area. They have a list of prescribers. They have free social support groups for moms, for partners, for dads, for just about any specialty group, whether it's grief and loss, a number of different kinds of groups. And I can't recommend it enough. It has a very robust directory of anything that people are looking for. I also offer a lot of the support, like through my blog, through the offerings I have. It's a lot of free, free stuff on my website at psychmommy.com. So those are just like some beginner ways of managing these feelings. But I will say there's nothing that can replace a good therapy relationship. It's unmatched. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think that even when you're in a good place, actually just like preventative care of totally. like getting to the bad place. Um, so, but I'm curious as a therapist, how you answer this when someone's like, oh, but I can't afford a therapist. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you say to those people who are just like, well, it's not accessible to them or mm-hmm. yeah. How would you answer that? That's a great question. And it's a very real concern because it is so many families are struggling right now. And I I know that it can be really tricky. And a lot of therapists have long wait lists and people will just, it's like, you're already not feeling good. And now I have to navigate trying to find a therapist. You can ask some of the providers that you're familiar with and you're under their care. If they have referrals, you can ask a therapist if they have a sliding scale. And that is where they will reduce the cost of therapy to meet your need and to meet like what the demand is. There are some that will even offer like pro bono or free services. When I was getting my doctorate degree, our graduate program, we were interns at that point. So we were, we already had our master's degree. We were being supervised by a licensed psychologist and we were offering therapy services at like $10 per session. Everything was being recorded. It was very, it's a very, it's training. It's a training facility. So you're getting really high quality care because everything is evidence-based. Everything is going to be reviewed. Everything is, it was a great um, service. So I would look into local universities or colleges to see if they have these services. Another resource is Open Path, Open Path Collective. I'm trying to think of, and I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but it's also a low fee service for therapy. That's very affordable. 
And many people have found great providers using that service at a very low cost. So those are just some of the things to look at, but also looking at like free support groups in your community, because that can also be incredibly helpful. And like I said, Postpartum Support International does have free virtual support groups, and I would definitely look into that service as well. Oh, Asherina, these are super helpful tips because I know that some people are just a little reluctant to look because they're like, well, it's just, I hear that therapy is expensive. So it's just not, I can't do it. But I'm like, oh, but there's got to be something out there. So these resources are super helpful. Thank you for that. Yeah. I now want to ask you, like, you know, as moms, we often focus on, you know, caring for others and meeting their needs. We've talked about that. We're not, you know, taking care of our own basic needs. How can we learn how to take care of ourselves the same way? You know, this is a really sad reality, but I, it's like this, we've kind of been programmed to be others focused. And I think this is not just, it's not moms, it's women in general. And this is part of our really early programming to be others focused and to really support the needs of others and kind of, you know, play small. So there's this bit of early programming that we have gone through as women that makes us more of that, like have that service attitude. And I don't want to say there's anything wrong with caring for others because it can be very valuable and it can obviously do a lot of good to relationships. But the point that gets really detrimental is when we start to self-sacrifice, when we give more than we are capable of, and when we are only giving and we're not in the business of giving to ourselves or giving to ourselves first. And when we talk about this in therapy, we often talk about it from the perspective of how it can benefit your family and your children when you take care of yourselves. And that's the part that I find sad is that we are motivated to care for ourselves only when we see the domino effect of what it can have on our families. I've never thought of it that way, but you're so right. Yeah, I've got to like encourage, yeah, I've got to encourage moms. Like, you know, when you take care of yourself, you're taking care of your family. And it's like, yeah, okay, now I can do it. And it's like, why do I have to tell you that? You know, for you to really for you to really want to care for yourself. But from that perspective, you know. When we don't give to ourselves and we, we're not filling our own tank, we're not being the best. We're not showing up in a good way. And what we find is we're actually more irritable. We're more resentful. We snap more. We are burned out. We are overloaded. So we're not really showing up in a way that even feels good. So now it's like I'm giving too much of myself, but I'm also not parenting in a way that it makes me feel good. So it's like this is a double negative, right? I don't feel good. You don't feel good. None of us feel good. And when we care for ourselves, we parent in a way that like actually feels fulfilling because it's like, I did give myself part of this and I did take that 30 minutes for myself. I did really prioritize eating nutritious meals this week. I need to work on that myself, but you know, I really did focus on taking that 20 minutes each day and reading something just for me or whatever that looks like. When we do it, I notice for myself, not even with the clients I meet with, like if for myself, when I do that one thing for me, I'm a happier mom. I show up in a way that feels good. I smile more. I'm like more energized to give. And that for me is like in alignment with my values. Like I want to parent in a way that feels good, but I also want to model this to my children. I don't want to be like a self-sacrificial martyr mom and like teaching, like our teaching our children that's what moms should be. And I really want to step away from that. And I want to say, like, okay, moms can take care of themselves and they should. And I'm gonna prioritize that. Like I love you but I love me too. I always tell my son this, like mommy loves you, but she loves me. Yeah. I love me too. I love me too. I love me first. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I love that quote of 
it's not saying me first. It's saying me too. Mm-hmm. Like putting yourself back on that priority list. So I love how you say that too. Like, hey, I, I love me too. I love <laughs> you, but I can give myself some love. That's so great. Dr. Reem, we touched on this, like the anger, the mm-hmm. rage that mothers feel. We all have this mom rage from time to time. Maybe I'm overgeneralizing. Maybe there's some perfect unicorn moms listening that have never experienced this, but (laughs) I feel like a lot of us have. What is your advice for moms who feel that guilt or loss of control when it comes to those moments of rage? I will say that anger is a very universal experience. It's part of the human experience. You're never going to eliminate it. And if someone tells us that they've never been angry or irritable or whatever, whatever that, that feeling sphere there, they're not being honest with themselves. And it's okay because there's there is a lot of shame that goes along with those feelings. So I can see why somebody wouldn't want to admit that. But we do feel angry. And I want to say something about that. Because we feel angry doesn't mean that it's not justified because some of the anger is justified, right? We are being pulled and I think like I would say confidently. Today, moms are being pulled in so many directions that your anger is justified. Sometimes it's justified, but it doesn't feel good. So that's why we want to do something about it. It's not like to say that you are wrong, you shouldn't feel angry, and you should never experience anger. But the way that we express our anger matters because it can be really damaging. We know that, right? It can be damaging to the relationships around us. And I want to just really just share how commonplace this is because this is, like I said, one of those experiences that nearly every single parent I've ever met with tells me that they're, I'm angry. I don't like it. I don't like the way this feels. And it's not like moms are going to be shouting this from the rooftops because who wants to talk about that, right? Like I lost it on my kids today. Like who wants to start off that, you know, telling everybody that. So it's very common. It shows up quite a bit. And just like anything else I talk about, it's like, we have to do some digging here. And With the guilt and the shame experience with anger, would we want to shame our children for expressing an emotion that's natural to the human experience? Would we say like, you should never feel angry. How dare you feel angry? You know, we wouldn't say that. At least I hope not. It's really a part of the human experience, but we kind of need to just like need to shape that anger. We need to have like better skills to manage how we're expressing that anger. Because usually for me, it's a distress signal. This is where we're like, when I'm feeling angry and I'm irritable, there is something else going on. And it's like this alarm is going off consistently. Like, hey, Asherina, you need to pay attention. We are low on fuel here. (laughs) You need to address this. You haven't slept. You have way too many things on your plate. You have neglected these self-care tasks. You're being asked too many things. And it's like that distress signal is going off. And that's why we're irritable. So we really have to investigate like, What's going on? Why am I feeling this way? We need to start better caring for ourselves and figure out what that unmet need is under the surface. So typically when I talk about anger, I really explain how it's a secondary emotion most of the time. Most of the time, anger is a feeling about a feeling. It's not that we're angry. It's that there's this vulnerable feeling underneath the anger that we don't want to access because it's scary. It's like if I feel inadequate as a mom today because I messed up something and now this anger, I have easy access to it. It just comes so quickly. It's so protective. And that's why we express it that way, you know, and that's why we see it. It doesn't always feel good because we know it can, it can really impact our relationships. And I will say you can recover from anger. You can really do the digging and do the work so that you can express it in a healthy way. You can repair with your children. You can repair with your partner. You can repair 
with yourself because that is even more important, I think, that we don't want to hold on to that shame for the rest of our lives. We want to say, hey, I am human. I make mistakes. This happens. I need to forgive myself. Just like when we apologize to our children and say, hey, you know what? Mommy was angry earlier and I didn't like it. I didn't like how I felt and I shouldn't have raised my voice like that with you. Mommy was really tired and she should have known that and I should have said something about it. I'm talking about myself in third person. Um, <laughs> I should have, you know, really paid attention to that before I got really frustrated and angry. And I want to say I'm sorry because that was not your fault. So we take ownership. We can repair with our children. We can repair with our partner. We can repair with ourselves. And then what we do is we start to really pay attention early on. Like I, we, I actually have a, a course all on this called All the Rage that I host with my friend Erica Jossa over at Happy as a Mother. And we dive so deep into this topic because we're so passionate about it. And we don't want moms to hold on to that guilt and that shame. And there's so much that you can do early, early on to recognize the early warning signs because I can't tell you how many moms just come into my office and like fall apart with this feeling of like, I am a monster. I'm not doing a good enough job. What kind of mom does this or says this? Or, And I want to just scream like a lot of them, you know, a lot of moms, you are not alone. I just want to give like every mom a hug and say like, hey, this is, this is real. This is the tough stuff that we weren't prepared for, but you're not alone and it can get better. And now I need to know, you're saying expressing, you can get to a point uh, to like express your anger in a healthier way. Can you just give an example of a healthier way of expressing that anger? Yes. And I, I think part of it, especially with our partner relationships, what happens is when we don't express our needs early on, we hold on to them and then we add. So it's like the opposite of mindfulness. Mindfulness, we talk about like experiencing something and not placing judgment. What we do in these moments where things are stewing under the surface is we create more judgment. We say, this is the worst. My partner is the worst. My child is doing this to me on purpose. And we're adding all of these negative thinking patterns. We talk about this in our course where we're adding and we're fueling the fire. And then to the point where it meets this boiling point where we explode and we are like, you never do what I ask you to do. You kept, you keep leaving these dishes out. Or I told you 15 times, put your toys away instead of noticing what's going on in our body. There's a number of things that we can do. One is we talk about them. We talk with, especially with our partner, we can be really honest upfront. Hey, you know, when you leave the dishes on the sink after I've cleaned up all day, it, I really feel unappreciated because it makes me feel like you're not, you know, pay, paying attention to all the hard work I do. And it adds to my load. It would really help me out if after you eat, you rinse off your dishes and you put them in the dishwasher. That's just like the first example that came to my brain. But like really being honest about what our needs are and communicating those needs and saying like, hey, I have noticed I am feeling more irritable when we're getting together because these are some of the things I'm doing and I'm really feeling overwhelmed by them. I need to share this load with you. I need to, you know, I need to hand over X, Y, and Z. What are your thoughts on that? Or talking to our kids and sometimes with our children, it's like, okay, I don't want to assign that they're doing this to me on purpose. Like my children aren't doing this to me on purpose, right? Like it's like they're not not putting on their shoes because they're trying to piss me off today. It's like, no. But are they? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they're being distracted by that shiny object that's whatever it is. It's just like or whatever is going on with them, right? And I try not to personalize those things, but also I need to have the skills to relax my body, to regulate my own body when it's getting so activated and so overwhelmed and it's an overdrive. And I could do like a three-day seminar on this. <laughs> <laughs> we will go into all of the things, right? 
So yeah, this is actually what we talk about. We go over all of the things that we can do to prepare ourselves way ahead of time, what we can do in the moment and poured our heart and souls into that. So I'm not like, no, this really, is perfect. I yeah. appreciate it. Cause I know that this again could be a three day series, but I, <laughs> I, but I, I know that so many of us do experience those moments when you just Oh, like lose it. And mm. so when you said, Hey, we can get to a point where you can express that anger in a healthy way. I'm like, well, tell me more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I appreciate you, you going over that. And now Dr. Reem, let's talk about boundaries. Okay. Why is this concept so important for moms and how can we all work on setting better boundaries? So we're talking about anger just a second ago, right? We're talking about anger. We're talking about anxiety. We're talking about resentment. We're talking about all these feelings. And most often these show up as a result of a boundaryless life. When I don't have boundaries, when there are no rules, when there's no limits, when I'm not expressing what I can handle, what I cannot handle, I'm feeling all those feelings and I'm feeling them dramatically, times a hundred, times a thousand. And boundaries, I talk about this regularly, if you read my blogs or you hear what I have to say, but boundaries are, there are limits. They're where I end and you begin. They're the the fence around your property and your property being you. (laughs) So what they are is like, they're really important. And they tell people and they show people like, hey, this is okay with me. And this is not okay. Or this is as close as you can get. And this is as far as you should be. They're for other people as well as for you. It's really helpful to other people to know what your boundaries are. Otherwise they have no clue. And when we don't have boundaries, We are feeling unappreciated, we're angry, we're resentful, we're anxious, we feel out of control. And the important piece of why it's so important to to hold boundaries. It's like, yes, it's great for me to have these because I can live a more peaceful life. But I teach my kids how to hold boundaries. And to me, that is so important because so many of us were not modeled healthy boundaries. No, in fact, we were taught, hug your Uncle Jerry. You know, he's here, he drove all this way. You need to go hug him. Or, oh, I know that you're full, but go ahead and keep eating. You know, this is like another body boundary, right? Like we were always like, we're kind of taught to not trust our instincts and our bodies or what felt comfortable or uncomfortable. And it's really challenging to know what our boundaries are when people early on in life are telling you not to trust yourself. So this is why it's so important. And for me, especially it's important to model to, you know, children for the my, my own and like all the clients I work with to model this so that we actually are breaking generational cycles together in modeling these boundaries. And how do we do this? A lot of uncomfortable feelings, a lot of uncomfortable feelings. And I I say this because we kind of think that, okay, if I set boundaries, I'm going to be feeling good. And this is going to be, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to feel good. No, you're going to feel terrible, especially if you don't do this and you're not used to it. So lean into those uncomfortable feelings, you know, remind yourself, this is going to feel uncomfortable, but the uncomfortability is actually going to lead to something different for me. Usually the uncomfortability of like living a boundaryless life just leads to more chaos. But when we set the boundary, when we hold the boundary, I'm uncomfortable, but now there's something good on the other side. So we want to start small. We want to find small ways to say no. I, I share this funny, um, I guess it's not funny, but it's funny now because I have some hindsight. But when I was in my early twenties, I was like a sucker for those counter people like at the mall. Like if they were, you know, oh, trying I read to this. yes, the perfume lady, <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I couldn't say no. It was so hard for me. I don't want to feel like people don't want, I don't want to make them feel bad. I was a people pleaser and it was so challenging for me. It was like the hardest thing to do. I would just say yes. And then, and then you'd see me walking at the mall, buying all these things I didn't need. And 
it's like, okay, well, how can we practice saying no in those situations? Because those are kind of like benign, right? It's not my relative. It's not my family member. It's not that close to me. I'll never see you again if I don't come to the small, which I'll probably avoid now forever. But it's like, start off with those small no's. And that's where you practice. But I always like to think of like, when I'm saying yes, or when I'm saying no, what am I really saying? Like when I say no to you, what am I saying yes to in my own life? Is it more time for me and my family? Is it more peace? Is it, you know, just having like some self-care time? Is it whatever the case may be? Or if I'm saying yes to you, what am I saying no to in my life? Am I saying no to my family? Am I saying no to my priorities? Am I saying no to? So like really knowing what we're saying when we respond and honestly, practice, 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 practice with the small ones. If it's something bigger, write it down, practice, practice in your mirror, practice on your phone, practice. It's not going to feel good. It's not, but you want to practice that and really remember this is going to be hard, but I can do it. This is going to be hard, but it's going to get better and just developing that. But for someone who's listening and they are not good with boundaries, can you give us some examples of like ones to start off with? What are some good places like we should set for a mom? Where should we be setting some boundaries in our life? Just for some examples. So they have an idea of like, okay, this is how I can get started. Oh, let's think about all the ways. Okay. I'm trying to think of some that really have come up for um, the clients that I've worked with. And part of it is like a lot of them are for time. Like people ask me to do something and I really don't want to, but I feel obligated to say yes. And I think here is where we have to, like this is where we can start. And this is where we don't have to turn it into this big thing. I think people want to over explain when they say no. I think they want to come up with like a really good story. Sometimes they will lie. And that's where you don't need to do all these things. I always like to remind people that no is a complete sentence. And if it makes you feel better, you can thank them. You know, thank you so much for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Tomorrow, I am going to be taking some time for myself. And I really want to prioritize taking some time for myself. So we can get together some other time or whatever that may be. And I think like the, the in our minds, we think we have to over-explain. And we don't think that like a response about it being really important for me to take my time in my own space. It's like, we don't even think that that's like a thing we should ever share. We think we need to have like, some competing thing that we've got to tell them about. Like, oh, I can't because I have a doctor's appointment and it's like an emergent procedure. It's like, no, you don't need, you don't need an exit strategy. You just got to tell them, you know what? I've really been prioritizing some space in my schedule. So we're going to sit this one out. I appreciate the invite. You're good. That's like all you need to do. (laughs) And when you're having a really hard time, just provide some space, create some space from responding. I used to be like a really impulsive responder where someone would ask me and I would feel like, oh, okay, I'll see. Yeah, sure. And then maybe I'd back out later, but it's like, why don't you just give yourself some time and say, you know, I'm going to think on that one. Let me get back to you. Let me think on that. If you really don't know and you need some space and you have a hard time with the yeses and the nos immediately. So take some space, but also remember that prioritizing your mental health and letting people know that is a great practice And even if it's just like, I want, we, you know, we're spending some family time together tomorrow. We actually are going to be doing that and just taking things really slow around here. I hope you guys have a blast. And it's kind of cool because I think you'll let other people know that they can do the same thing. We don't have to, you know, fill our schedules to the brim. We have this idea. It's like, if I'm available, like if there's nothing scheduled, I'm available. And that's not the case in life. We don't always have to be available to people. So I love that. That's a very common one that comes up is our time. 
I agree. I totally agree. And let's go to the partners because I feel like partners sometimes can be a bit better at, at those boundaries. I don't know. I've noticed. So <laughs> what what role do our partners play in navigating the struggles of motherhood and, and how can they help? I think one of the things we do forget is that partners can also be going through their own experience. It's one of like those things where moms will come to me and say, like, for example, when they're in a heterosexual relationship, they'll say, you know, my husband and my partner, he'll, he seems so angry or irritable. And we don't recognize that back. These can actually be signs of depression. You know, he's really checked out and he could also be having his own experience. Partners can be having their own experience. We just need to be paying attention to that, that they're also navigating something very new and they don't know where they fit in. And a lot of the times, a lot of the support that we're talking about is tailored for moms. So they might feel left out as well. And they're navigating this and they want to be helpful, but they don't know how to be helpful. And that's not always the case. It can show up this way. So understanding that they're going through their own journey, they're going to have a hard time. And I think this is where it's going to be challenging when mothers in particular are struggling and they say things to me like, I don't even know how anybody can help me right now. I don't know what I need. And then we have a partner that's maybe trying and failing (laughs) and doesn't know how to navigate that support, it can be really hard on both parties there. So part of this whole process is working together and recognizing that you're both walking through that journey and you're both doing something you've never done before. You're both overwhelmed and it's it's no time to compare who's going through a harder time, but recognizing that you both need something and you're both probably not getting your needs met. So I think that's like a really helpful perspective from both parents to look at that and say, okay, we're going through a challenging time right now. And I think like, how can partners support mothers? Um, How can they help? Just paying close attention to any of the changes. I know that my husband recognized that I wasn't myself. And I don't think he didn't say anything until I brought it up. Probably because he was scared. (laughs) I was going to like bite his head off, which I may have. I don't know. I was not in a good place. (laughs) I'll be completely honest about that. But I think it's really, it's really good to be paying attention. And when you bring it up, if you do want to bring it up, bring it up in a way that is really non-judgmental. You're like, hey, you know what? I've noticed that you're having a hard time with this. And I know that maybe you, you seem like you're a bit overwhelmed and I'm here to support you. I want to be here for you. Maybe even asking, you know, in what ways can I support you if you know? And if you can tell me something, I'm willing to try anything. One of the things I hear most often is I just want to know that they're going to be there that they're going to be there no matter what. It's so powerful to just present to your partner. Like I'm here no matter what. I can see how hard this is and you're doing a great job. Like getting those words of affirmation, getting that un, you know unparalleled support where I know that okay, my partner is going to be here for me no matter what. We're on the same team. And sharing those reminders and doing those things without being asked sometimes. You know, it's like, what can I do to make life easier? If, if it was for anybody, can I clean up? Can I pick up my own stuff? Can I, you know, help with meals? Can I do the things that would make life easier? And that goes for both parents, you know, doing that for one another. How can we best support each other? We are on the same team because we are traveling the toughest transition in life and we need all the support we can get. So that's just my take on it. And I know there's a ton that we could uncover here, but that would be a good start. That's a great start. No, I love it. I love it. Something that I think that we need to touch on, because I think it is also affecting our motherhood, is social media. Mm. (laughs) How do you think the media plays a role in some of the struggles new moms experience? Oh, my. 
like everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. You know, this actually comes up in sessions with moms. I believe it. I believe and it. It makes me sad because it's like moms are comparing themselves to these really impossible expectations or, you know, they'll come in and like, I follow so-and-so and I don't know how she looks so great. And her kids are always eating these great meals and they all are wearing, you know, these great outfits and they're on vacation all the time and her, her husband just seems so thrilled and happy. And it's so challenging when we are not only like facing just the transition of motherhood, but now you layer it with this pressure to our bodies to bounce back to, you know, cook the perfect meals, to have a very well-balanced meal for every single meal of every single day. And, you know, we got to dress a certain way. We got to look a certain way. We've got to be doing all of these things. And it's impossible. And it's one of those things that I see it really negatively impacting the mothers that I work with. I believe it. Do you see any hope? (laughs) I do. And this is where boundaries comes into play. And this is something that we work with. And it's kind of like being very cognizant of what we consume. And our consumption doesn't stop like on the TV and the newspaper. It's your social media. It's being very careful and being mindful and like monitoring. How did I feel before I came on this app? How do I feel after I leave this app? And really starting to track that because if I'm feeling worse, there's something wrong here. And I need to do a cleanup on what it is that I'm seeing. So what do I need to mute, unsubscribe from? What do I need to unfollow? And what do I just need to actually remove from my life completely? And I think we also need to be very realistic here. Part of that is saying to ourselves, okay, is this person sharing any of the behind the scenes? Is it realistic for their kids to be smiling 24-7? You know, is it realistic for, you know, just to really have these tough conversations with ourselves where we're challenging the, the belief that, people out there are living perfect lives and I'm just not one of them. Yes. Because again, comparison, man, it really is the thief of joy. (laughs) It's terrible. It is. It totally is. And we're only getting a snippet. It's like the highlight reel. Yeah. Your grid is not going to show me the ugly, you know, it's not (laughs) going to show me all of the things that are behind the scenes that you wouldn't dare share with somebody. It's like, I'm not sharing it on my social media. I don't walk around and record meltdowns, you know, (laughs) I'm I wouldn't you should, doctor. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Seriously, right? Oh, really? It would be very relatable. But. <laughs> That's for sure. Okay, well, now I need to know if you, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but like, what is your like go-to best piece of advice to a new mom? Mm. This is not going to sound like the best advice. <laughs> Great. Perfect. <laughs> it was what I needed to hear postpartum. And I think one of the biggest things I needed to hear was that it was okay to change my mind. I became really fixated and rigid on the ways that I was doing things, partly because of like what I was consuming. I need to, you know, breastfeed until X amount of time. I need to feed these meals. I need to do whatever it is. And once I gave myself the permission to say, I can change my mind and I can really pivot and make different decisions. And what I, what worked for me and my family in those early days might not work for me down the road, six months or a year. And I gave myself permission to say, you can change your mind. You can shift any which way in motherhood and it's going to be okay. It was like, oh my gosh, I can. It's not like I signed a contract. I can really shift this year. And that was really helpful for me to recognize that I could do that. And it's sad that I had to recognize that and didn't just know that I could. Yeah. And that even starts at birth. Like, oh, I'm going to have this water birth and it's going to be gorgeous. And then, oh, just kidding. (laughs) Exactly. We're going in for a C-section, which is what happened for me. So it's like, we changed our minds real quick, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> and that's okay. Back to your point. It's okay to do exactly. that. So that's a great piece of advice. And now I need to know, like, when I first started talking to you, you're like, ah, oh, it's yeah, I'm busy and it's exciting and all this stuff. Well, now I need to know, is there anything new and exciting going on that we need to know about? There are so many new and exciting things. None of them are like launching right now, but I will say following along and just being part of like my newsletter, which is actually kind of new. We have a newsletter called the mother load and we share just such great information. It's evidence-based. We share really great tips to navigate relationship changes, the emotional changes, that whole transition in the newsletter. We share that. We also, it's like research back, like I said, and then we offer some tools and blogs and further reading and it's all free and it's on the newsletter. So to join that newsletter, you can go to psychmommy.com and join that. And there's so many freebies on my website that everyone has access to as well, which is really cool. I have a course called Keeping Mommy in Mind, which we are relaunching as the postpartum playbook. And it's going to grow and it's going to, it has served so many moms already. And it really helps this whole transition. And it goes over a lot of the stuff that we talked about, but in greater detail, offering like therapy skills that I offer my clients on a video-based format where you can take it at your own pace whenever you'd like. So that's really helpful. And in 2023, we have some really cool things coming up, one of them being a virtual summit. And I've actually never shared this anywhere. This is the first place I'm sharing it. (laughs) So, and it's called Motherwell, Motherwell Summit. And it's going to be incredible. It's going to be incredible, but it's going to be there to support moms along their journey of emotional wellness, physical recovery, navigating the relationship changes, as well as parenting tools and all offered from experts in all of these fields. So I'm really thrilled about that. And yeah, you're the first to know. So there's that. Amazing. <laughs> so you really do have a lot going on. I do. I really, on top really of her do. move, you know. Yeah. Moving <laughs> is always fun. It'll break just about anybody, anyone, but here we are. <laughs> well, congratulations. That is so exciting. And we cannot wait to follow along and see all of that. But Dr. Reen, tell all of our listeners, again, it was psychedmommy.com, at mm-hmm. psychedmommy on Instagram. Is there anywhere else where our listeners can find you? I am Psyched Mommy everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, my website. It's all uniform. So it it makes it easy. And that's P-S-Y-C-H-E-D-M-O-M-M-Y. Beautiful. And before we sign off, just any final thoughts or words that you'd like to share? You know, this has been such a great conversation. And I just think that the reminder from all of this is that you are going to experience a lot of things that you didn't expect and you didn't anticipate. And that doesn't change your value as a mother. I walked through a lot of big feelings that I didn't expect as a psychologist. And it doesn't make me any less of a mother. And I think part of it is knowing I'm not alone and my experience can get better. That is something that I think for every mom out there, knowing that whatever it is that you're walking through right now, it can get better. That's just a big reminder. There's help everywhere. I know we mentioned several ways to get help today, and I highly encourage you to do that and not try to, you know, just white knuckle it because I can tell you from experience, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Oh, oh my gosh. Dr. Reem, this was so awesome. Such a good conversation. I could literally probably talk to you all day, but I won't because, you know, you're busy. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your obvious passion with all of us. I know this is going to help not only me, but so many of our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Absolutely. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Dr. Reem, you can visit her on her website, as she said, psychedmommy.com or on Instagram, Facebook, all the places at Psyched Mommy. Our team will be posting today's episode on our Baby Chick Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about our discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to rediscovering a new you.